The Beginning of the End is sponsored by Detroit Bikes, a company inspired by the utilitarian ideals of European bike culture and the manufacturing spirit of Detroit, where they are built. Detroit bikes are minimalist, yet stunning bikes that are light and very well made with the commuter in mind. Check them out at DetroitBikes.com. From WDET in Detroit, welcome to the beginning of the end. Stories about when, how, and why things end. My name's Alex Trujano. So on today's show, we have a teacher who's not sure if his superpowers are enough to make a difference in the tough high school where he works. Let's get right into it. I've always daydreamed about being a superhero or something. That's Jeremy Brock, a mild-mannered man with a lot on his mind. He's super nice, maybe too nice. You know, he's like that friend that we all have that is so nice that you actually kind of worry about them that other people are going to take advantage of him. You know what I mean? He talks really fast and he has this bubbly, nervous energy. Like I actually had to remind him to slow down a couple of times. Only because he has so much to say. And when we talked, he includes lots of details. Lots of details. I really like him. So here's the thing. He reminds me of Peter Parker. You know, the kid who became Spider-Man. Nerdy, obsessed with rejection, dealing with feelings of inadequacy. But he's driven. Driven by something deep inside, like all good superheroes are. So, you know, and speaking of superheroes, as a kid, he watched all of the Saturday morning superhero shows and got into the comics, like Spider-Man and X-Men and so on. And he totally fell in love with them. So those daydreams happened as recently as his wedding overlooking the Detroit River. And I would think about, okay, so we're getting married. A portal opens up. A monster comes out. It's like, all right, I do, I do. And then I like fly off and I fight it. Jeremy daydreamed like this in school too. Fantasizing about beating the bad guys and getting the girl. Oh man, I was convinced that when I hit puberty, I was going to grow wings. That was totally going to happen. I was going to be Angel from the comics. And then uh, I was going to, you know, get metal wings and blue skin. Girls were going to love me. And, he, you know, he didn't just hope for greatness. Jeremy kind of needed it. He's one of those people that's been really hard on himself since he was a kid. I was the kid that got a C-plus in seventh grade math and, and punished myself. I called home. I was like, Mom, you got to come pick me up. There's a dance after school, but I got my report card, and I don't deserve to go. Thing was, he wasn't really a bad kid. You know, so I was a great student, uh, funny, um, more popular than I realized. At the time, you know, I, I was a total nerd, but I was also on the cheerleading squad my senior year. You know, so I just look back and I'm like, you thought everyone hated you and you were this fat loser. And really, like, I was in great shape. I could have taken any of the cheerleaders to prom. Every single one of them would have said yes. And I was just like, nobody likes me. Like, But people really did like him. He had a lot going for himself. 
but he couldn't see it or accept that. And I think when you are that personality type, that's when you kind of feel more at home in your imagination. You know, you kind of feel safe there. Like that story of the monster at his wedding. But now he was at that age where he had to kind of make some decisions about his life. So he had a conversation with his chemistry teacher. But he started asking me what I wanted to do, and I, I told him I really didn't know. And he said, think about what you, what you love doing enough that time just kind of flies by, uh, what makes you happy, and make a career out of it. I decided, okay, I'm going to be a teacher, I'm going to go to Michigan State, and that's, that's the only school I applied to, and that's all I did. And eventually I got into a classroom, and that was when it really, it just clicked. Some lessons I had taught in the past, I really freaked out. I talked way too fast, which is a problem I have, and I sweated a lot, like it was terrible. Uh, the day that it clicked was the first day that my mentor teacher left the room and was just like, you can, you can teach, and I trust you, and I'm gonna leave. I had a lesson plan, and I got in front of the class, and it became clear very quickly. They had no idea what I was talking about, and instead of panicking and sweating through my shirt, I, all of my worries just dropped away. This like zen-like calm came over me, and I knew, I knew I could do it. All of a sudden, I just realized, this is what I'm supposed to do. And there you go. He found his calling as a teacher. And his first full-time gig was at a small rural high school near Lansing, Michigan, where everybody loved him. I was praised for my teaching. I shaved my head for charity. I, I was an involved member of the community. And I still have students through Facebook or whatever who will reach out and say, thank you so much. I felt like a superhero. Later, he was approached to apply for a teaching position by the Education Achievement Authority, or EAA. It's a governing body of Michigan's statewide system for failing schools. Governor Snyder created this district of schools three years ago with the plan that it would take over 15 of the lowest-performing schools in the state. And it just so happens that all of those 15 schools are in Detroit. Part of me wanted to do it because I had dealt with a lot of ignorance about Detroit, about black communities, about impoverished communities at my other schools. There was one student in particular who I'll never forget because we would just have the biggest fights in class. One of the days that will always stand out in my mind was this big argument we had about welfare. And even when I put the data right in front of him, he still insisted all black people are poor and stupid. And it infuriated me. And I told him that day, I was like, I can read all of these things in books about poverty and about Detroit, but you and I are never really going to understand it unless we're there. The day I got the email saying, hey, if you're interested, please apply for this new district. And I remember thinking of that kid and deciding that, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. So Jeremy started training for his new job as a history teacher at Southeastern High School on the east side of Detroit. I also knew that Detroit had a lot of problems. I used to tell people that I was an unstoppable force and Detroit is an immovable object, but what will happen, I'm not going to stop, so maybe it'll move, we'll see. It was just a time of such, such hope. But after about a month in this new school, he was transferred to Mumford High School, also one of the EAA schools, and it was in pretty bad shape. It was kind of being run by the students. I was replacing a teacher who had quit after the first day. The building was packed. I mean, it was overflowing with kids. 
They would literally just take like as many kids as they could to the gym and to the auditorium and teach multiple classes at the same time because Wait, the classrooms were... When you said teach, teach, you used air quotes. It's From my understanding, they were just doing riot control. Please just sit down. Please just let us talk. Please just listen. And there were fights, on the regular. And Jeremy never really encountered anything on this level before. While most teachers would try to break up the fights by grabbing arms or yelling, Jeremy had a different approach. He'd jump right between them. Like, I definitely put myself in harm's way more than I have to. At my previous schools, I had broken up one fight in my entire career. So three years, uh, four years of teaching, one fight. For, at Mumford, for that first year, it was for a while every day and then every week and now it's you know at least every month but and I haven't been punched in a couple of months at least so you know it's getting better like <laughs> that oh my god my first year I don't remember who said it I, I was I had just broken up a fight outside with the security guards and the police and I was walking back inside and someone said uh-oh must have been a fight Brock's sweaty and he looks sad <laughs> You never expect it, but when there's a fight, you can tell. There's a way that they move towards the fight to watch it and film it and stuff that's different from how they rush towards other things. That's part that breaks my heart, too. That the kids, some of the kids, relish the opportunity to watch a fight. To, if a girl's hair gets ripped out, the weave or the wig, whatever, they want pieces of it, like a trophy. And, and I always try to explain to them, there are so many things that are trying to keep you down keep you in poverty, keep you in a place where you have to behave in a, as a criminal to get by, um, keep you starving, keep you ignorant, and you shouldn't be f keeping each other down. There are all of these forces that want to see you fail, that want to see you be miserable and never accomplish anything. You should uplift each other to fight those things. You shouldn't fight each other. More right after this. You're listening to The Beginning and the End. Be right back. The Beginning of the End is super pumped to have Detroit Bikes as a sponsor because they're a company with a pretty cool vision. They were inspired by how cities work and the part transportation plays in its planning. So they set up a 50,000 square foot factory in the city of Detroit to make these really well-made minimalist bikes with the mission to help bring manufacturing back to the Motor City. So they hired highly skilled men and women who seem to care very much about what happens in the city they call home. Our producer, Shelby Jopi, talked to a Detroit bike employee called John, who totally sees the larger mission. It's just a cool idea, you know, I like, I like to see uh something happening in the city of Detroit uh, and it's obviously I like the hand-built thing you know and uh, love bicycles I love anything with two wheels motorcycles bicycles anything yeah so I feel kind of lucky to be here why is what you do here at Detroit Bikes important because it gets people out of cars and on bicycles and it's a, a greener thing so you know, I think to me that's a helps the environment so it helps the environment <laughs> 
That's kind of neat. It's because you're getting healthier and you're riding your bicycle and it's, you know, less traffic, one less car. Maybe that's what you say, you know? <laughs> Detroit bikes encourage cycling by making an accessible, enjoyable bicycle while continuing Detroit's legacy of quality manufacturing and design. My favorite is the A-Type. What's yours? Check it out and decide at DetroitBikes.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, I'm back. This is the beginning of the end. I'm Alex Trujano. Jeremy Brock dreamed of being a superhero his whole life. And as a high school history teacher in Detroit, he began to see a great need that he could help fill. I chose to become a history teacher because I loved learning the, the history of video game worlds. And then the more I learned about our actual history, like our world, um, the more I came to realize that it was these, these small things over time that, that changed the world and made it better. And that it was every individual recognizing their responsibility and their role. Because I know my time here is limited, and I know that it's every single one of us doing the best that we can do that makes all of us better overall over time. You know, if I'm just a good teacher, the world moves forward like it would have anyway. But if I'm a great teacher, then maybe things improve. And this is what drove Jeremy to play his part. He taught faithfully, sought to inspire the kids with knowledge of their place in history and the world around them, and he even threw himself in the middle of these fights to try to prevent the parties involved from ruining it for themselves. But no matter how tirelessly or skillfully he served, Jeremy couldn't always save his kids. There was a student in one of my classes who I barely knew, because I'd barely been there, and he called some girl a name. She told someone, and then that guy started following the other guy, threatening him, and uh, I end up, it's my lunch period, and I saw the kid, and I tried to grab him and say, you know, you need to calm down. This, this anger, like, what's the purpose? Like, you, you messed up. You said the wrong thing. And yeah, he's messing up too by threatening you, but you just need to calm down. Just let it go. He and I are doing laps in the hallway, and I'm trying to calm him down. And finally, he decides that he's going to run off and find someone to beat up. And I was in that day in a pair of brown shoes that I have never worn again uh, because they have no traction. And so I kind of grab him and, and I fall. He runs for the cafeteria. I chase him. He's at the top of the stairs leading into our cafeteria. And I slipped and I fell. <laughs> I fall just in time to see him run up to the first kid that he recognizes from a, a rival gang. And he punches that kid in the head and then every member of the gang just gets up and just storms him. I ran down the stairs and I jumped on top of him and they punched me instead. And I took those blows because I just, I should have stopped him. I should have calmed him down earlier, but he ended up being suspended and then he ended up in jail, I think. Um, all I know is he never came back after that day. The last time I ever saw him was when I was like pressed up against his face, you know, begging these kids to just stop, to just, to just end it. Jeremy started feeling like maybe these problems were just too big for him. And I remember just having such high hopes, thinking that the obstacles that were going to be in front of me were ones that I could overcome. Like what? Poverty. 
and lack of, of knowledge for my students. The fact that, you know, for math students in my high school right now, like uh, they're struggling with bar graphs or multiplication tables. As a history teacher, I have students who read at a first grade level, and then I have students who read at a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. You know, it's, it's all across the board. You know, I used to really think that schools alone, if we improve the schools, then everything will get better. But now I really see the problem for what it is, and it's massive. Jeremy had always tried to live by the saying his dad instilled in him. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you do about it. But the 10% of what's happened to these kids is not something they can necessarily overcome through sheer force of will. People seem to love these stories of, if you just work hard enough, you can achieve so much. And it's just not true. It's just not true. I see so many kids who work so hard and, you know, they're still going to be stuck in this. Is it a frog or a lobster that doesn't feel the water boiling until it's already dead? They're in the boiling water, but they don't know because they've always, you know, they've always been there. Mm. For the last several months, probably since uh, October, November, um, I've been conflicted about whether I can do this job well enough. I don't feel successful anymore. I feel like I feel like I can never do enough. And I know that I'm doing as much as I can, but poverty's not going to end because Mr. Brock wears a cape to football games. Um, kids aren't necessarily going to learn to read just because for one hour a day I beg and plead with them to borrow a book from my library. It just feels like no matter how hard I try, these problems might not, they won't go away. There's another side of me that says that I should just leave, that I can't change anything, and all I'm doing is slowly killing myself because I'm, you know, so critical of myself because I'm, because it's so hard to see these kids suffering every day. And I used to say that, you know, I'll stay at this school where I'm going for 23 years if they need me because I can make a difference just if I'm committed. And, and now I'm not as sure because I know it's important. I know that it has to be done. And if I don't do it, who else will? It's tough out there, people. You know, the world will kick your ass and challenge you at every turn. And none of us have superpowers or can single-handedly solve the world's problems. We know this. The thing with Jeremy is that he puts so much pressure on himself to be a superhero and slay the monster that he can't just let himself be the great, passionate teacher that he already is. I mean, to me, every teacher is a hero. And those kids are lucky to have him, in my opinion. Just do the best you can, people. So we checked in with him recently to see where he's at. Uh, hey, guys. Um, so I've officially decided to stay at Mumford. I just can't, I can't leave my students and my colleagues. I love them, I love them way too much. And the truth is that as much as I need them, they, re they really need me too. Uh, my reasons for wanting to leave are still completely valid and there are problems already that we have to solve for this upcoming school year. But uh, I remember now that I can be a part of the solution. Um, I also realized that I was killing myself by thinking that I had to do everything. And I'm just excited to do a better job next year. 
something like this, it could and very, uh, very well might happen again. But right now I'm just excited about what I can accomplish and to wear my Mumford Man suit again. Whatever life holds in store for me, I will never forget these words. With great power comes great responsibility. This is my gift, my curse. Who am I? I'm Spider-Man. I have a responsibility. I have a gift, I guess, and I have to use that. Can Spider-Man stop being Spider-Man? Comic books say no. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the same same idea. Like, right. it's once you know, once you know what you're supposed to be doing, once you know where you're truly needed, I, I can't just leave, no matter what. The Beginning of the End is a production of WDET and is made by me and Shelby Jopi. Our theme is by Detroit's own Duende. Check them out at duendeolay.com. Today's music is courtesy of our friends at Ghostly Songs. I'm Alex Trujano on Twitter at A Trujano Detroit, and so is the show at B-O-T-E Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or however you get your podcasts, and if you like us, help us grow by writing a review in iTunes. And we're always looking for great beginning-of-the-end stories. If you have one, record a short version on your phone's voice memo app and then email it to beginningoftheend at wdet.org. Special thanks to our intern Max David Howard and to Lou Bluen for all of your help making this episode. And a superhero special thanks to you for listening. All right, we'll see you next time. The End.